0: I was talking with John MacDonald earlier, and we were noticing how we had to remember what to do. <laughs> it's been only a few weeks, but uh, it's uh, it's interesting how much you can forget about what you normally do when doing something else for a few weeks, and uh, so I hope uh, everything is going smoothly so far. Seems like it is, and uh, so now I have to, well, I'm kind of doing the same thing because I'm preaching to a camera now there's some people here though so i'm gonna get some uh... some feedback which i haven't been getting for a while and that's gonna be great i have to say uh... it's amazing how much difference that makes and uh... so i might get a little more excited than i have been sitting there on the porch or in front of the camera all by myself uh... for the last few weeks but in any case it is good to be here in the church and doing the Sunday morning worship on sunday morning and uh, that's good I'm enjoying it very much. We are studying in the book of John and we've come to the climax of the story, and that is the the death of christ and <clears throat> i've titled the uh, sermon this morning. It has It's one word. It's a one-word title. It might be a word you've never heard before, though uh, if you've been around church, it's possible that you've heard it. It is the word tetelestai. That's a Greek word, by the way. It's the Greek word in the book of John in the New Testament, tetelestai. I believe this is the most important word ever spoken. that Jesus speaking this word is the most insignificant thing that anyone has ever said now that means me preaching this morning is a bit off the mark i cannot do justice to this word to what jesus says and he says it It is the very last thing he says before he dies. Tetelestai, a single word. Now, I'm going to keep you in suspense. Some of you know what it means, but I'm going to keep you in suspense for a little while because we're going to look at some things. There's a... There's a theme in this section of the book of John, I think, uh, and we're talking about John chapter 19 and beginning with verse 18. <clears throat> I got to get a new prescription for my contacts. And we're going to look at verse 18 all the way to verse 30. Again, that's a pretty big chunk. And last week we looked at the first part of this a little bit at the end of last week's message. But I wanted to go back and, and notice some things. There's, there's a bit of a theme in this section, and that is the theme of the fulfillment of the Word of God, the Scriptures. And uh, there's things that are written that must be fulfilled. But if I just go on the theme of it is written, the first thing that is written is written by Pontius Pilate in this text. So in verse 18 we read this. So they took Jesus and he went out, I'm sorry, that's verse 17, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha, There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate wrote a notice and put it on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and It was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And as we often see in the book of John, the enemies of Christ serve the glory of Christ. We noticed this last week. We noticed that Caiaphas the high priest was the one who prophesied that one man should give his life for the nation. He didn't know what he was saying. John did. Here again, Pilate's intention, of course, is to belittle Jesus, and probably even more so, to belittle the Jewish leaders who delivered Jesus to him. He says, here's what we will do with your king. And they say, He's not our king. He's, he says, I said he's your king. And he is crucified. And in that argument between Pilate and the chief priests of Israel, who is correct? Though unintentionally so. Pilate is. For Jesus is, in fact, the King of the Jews. And so the enemies of Christ glorify Christ. This is really what Jesus said at the beginning of chapter 17 when he said, The hour has come. Glorify your Son. And he was talking about how he would be lifted up on the cross to die, and in so doing be glorified. And so Pilate says, I have written what I have written. The Greek word for written there is the verb grapho. We get like uh, all of our graphic, all the words in English that start with graph, all come from this word. It means to write. And it is in the perfect tense which I really like in this case, I don't. I only, you know, I try to only talk about the tense of Greek verbs. I probably am more inclined to talk about the perfect tense than any other tense because it has a depth that says what is done is done and it has altered the situation permanently So that now this is written and evermore will be written, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Then we go on to verse 22. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. In other words, this is a valuable piece of clothing, and it's normal, actually, when Roman soldiers crucify someone, they get his clothing. You know, the human race has not invented many uh, more brutal ways of executing someone than crucifixion. And the Romans were experts at not just killing a person, but humiliating the person and all he stood for. And that is the point of crucifixion. And so a person was crucified undressed, and they take his clothing, and divide them. There's typically four soldiers. And they say, well, this tunic, though, this is, like a, this is a good tunic. <laughs> so let's not tear it up. Let's cast lots and decide which one of us will get it. Then we read this. This was to fulfill the scripture. The word for scripture, typically in the New Testament, is the word graphe. It's simply the noun of the verb we just read about. I've written what I've written. If you've written something, then there is a writing. Writing. A graphe graphe is the Greek word for that is used for the Scripture, the writings, the writings to fulfill the writings. So again, we have something written that is to be fulfilled. Here's the Scripture. John quotes it. They divided my garments among them, but for my clothing they cast lots. That's a quotation. From Psalm 22:18, and I want to just encourage you to I, I, I almost had us read all of Psalm 22 as our scripture reading today, but it's kind of long. so uh, I want to encourage you, go and read Psalm 22. Jesus quotes Psalm 22 when he says, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" The whole of Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm. It's the psalm of the cross. And that is the psalm that is quoted by John here. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Again, the soldiers do not know they are fulfilling what has been written, but they are, and they must Because all that has been written must be fulfilled. And it's an unwitting fulfillment. And John, as though to emphasize his point, he says, this was to fulfill the scriptures, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. He says, so the soldiers did these things. Because it was written, the soldiers did these things. Not that they knew it was written, but it was. And then he says, so the soldiers behaved like this, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, and Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, four women. And we know from the other Gospels that there was actually more women there. I think it... This is really a detour, but I think it's kind of interesting that nearly all of Jesus' manly disciples are nowhere to be seen at this point. But the women are there. I don't, I'm not trying to make any kind of point out of that. I just think it's kind of interesting. There is one, though. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. That's John, the the writer of this gospel. He said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. He said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his home. Jesus is crucified, dying on a cross, and exhibits proper care for his friend and his mother. He sees to them, I think this also, John could have written, he didn't, but he could have written also, This was to fulfill what Jesus said that he would not lose a single one of those the Father had given him. So Jesus takes care of Mary and John. And John observes here that he is the disciple whom Jesus loved and this certainly is a demonstration of that love. Then the text goes on. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. So again, we're fulfilling the scripture. (laughs) And Jesus is not unknowingly doing so. It says here he knows that everything is done now and so he says to fulfill, the. it's his intention to fulfill the scripture and so he says I thirst. A jar full of sour wine was there so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch, why on earth does John find it necessary to tell us what kind of branch it was? Well, anyway, he put it on a hyssop branch. <laughs> uh, I was just looking at it, and now I can't find it. Yeah, there it is and held it to his mouth when Jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit now there's some interesting play with the words here in the original text that you can't see in English Jesus knowing that all was now finished Tetelestai. That also is a perfect tense verb. And so we could say, done, and done. Everything is finished, he said, in order to fulfill. You know, we read that expression, to fulfill the scriptures earlier. That was a different word for fulfill. That word earlier... When the soldiers, you know, were casting lots for Jesus' clothes, that word for fulfill the scripture was the word plerao, and it literally is what you do when you fill a glass. Uh, <clears throat> it means to fill something up. This word to fulfill is teleao. It is the exact same word as. Jesus, knowing that all was now finished. In order to finish, in order that the scripture, the graphe, would be finished, complete, fulfilled, he says, I thirst. And the Soldiers get the sour wine and they take a hyssop branch. So what is the scripture that's fulfilled here? Well, there's some discussion about that, but the most likely candidate is Psalm 69, 21. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. So, one way of reading the text in the book of John, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, In order to fulfill the scripture that says, they, For my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink, he said, I thirst. Well, I think there's some more scripture. There's a reference in Psalm 22:15 about the thirst of Messiah. Psalm 22:15 My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. And then there's this thing with the hyssop. Now, we might want to remember at this moment that Jesus is crucified on the day of preparation for Passover. And you know the story of Passover, right? The Israelites were captive in Israel and uh, Moses had been negotiating. That's not really the right word for their release. And God had been demonstrating the reality of his existence and his choosing of his people and Moses was declaring to Pharaoh, let my people go and then plagues and... And we come to the last plague, the death of the firstborn. And there's instructions given to Israel, be ready to go. Now you're going to make a sacrifice. It's going to be an an unblemished lamb. And you're going to take the blood of that lamb and you're going to spread it on your doorposts. And when the angel of death destroys all the firstborn of Egypt, when he sees the blood, he will pass over your house and your firstborn will not die even though your firstborn belongs to God he will let you keep him so that's the story so that's what happens they're supposed to eat the meal standing up because the next when this happens Pharaoh says get out He doesn't say, "Uh, okay, I'll let you go. No, he says, get out of here right now. Now we know he changed his mind later and he tried to chase him down, all of that, but that's Passover. They took a branch to dip in the blood of the lamb and put the blood on the door The branch was hyssop. So on the day of Passover, when the chief priest of Israel turns Jesus, the Lamb of God, over to Rome to be killed as a sacrifice for the nation, they serve him sour wine on a branch of hyssop just like the hyssop that was used to put the blood of the Passover lamb over the door of the people of Israel in the original story of the Passover. Now that, to my mind, gives much more meaning to what does it mean when it says Jesus said in order to fulfill the writings. The writings are <laughs> complete with this act of these unknowing Roman soldiers. Jesus knows what he's doing. So we come to the most important speech ever delivered and it's a speech of one word. After this Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, Tetelestai. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Done. Done. Finished. Now you could read this in the mind of Jesus a few different ways, but I just want to point out: this is not a cry of relief. This is not a "Oh, I'm finally done with this." That is not it, because the word "tetelestai" does not fit that. It fits a cry of victory. I have reached the goal. I have come to the end for which I am here on the earth. Hallelujah, it is finished, is the cry of Christ on the cross. It's not a cry of relief, it's a cry of victory, a cry of accomplishment. The very word itself is to come to the goal line. You know, when, uh, when there's a football match, And for those of you in the United States, I'm talking about the football of the rest of the world. a Soccer match. When there's a football match, you know, it's really hard to score. This is one of the reasons, by the way, Americans don't particularly like soccer. It's because there's not much scoring. Basketball, yeah, then there's a score every two seconds. Football, it just takes forever and ever and they'll get right up to it. No, not this time. And they'll get right. Oh, no. And that's what everyone else likes about the game is the suspense and they're, Oh, oh they almost got it. Oh, they almost got it. And then they score and the guy on TV says, Goal! Tatelestai. And by the way, I didn't keep yelling that long enough. You can see this word in the book of John, in chapter 17. Well, let me go back to chapter 4 first. Chapter 4, verse 34. This is the story of the woman at the well, and at the end of the story, the disciple said to another, "Uh, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's the word, accomplish. Same word. Teleao. In chapter 13, verse... One. This is at the very beginning. This is when of the of the upper room discourse, when Jesus is uh, about to wash the disciples' feet, and it says, "Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end." Tell us, end. He loved them completely all the way till there, the, the whole concept of love was complete in his love for his disciples. There's no love left to give. I like the way the song said, there's nothing left for heaven to give. He loved them to the completion of the goal to the full extent to the cross. And then in chapter 17, verse 4. I gotta read the the beginning. When Jesus spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that he may glorify you. And as we studied at the time, this is a reference to the glorifying of the Son on the cross. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished, that's the word, the work that you gave me to do. And we could look in uh, chapter 10. And we see the mandate. Of eternal life that Jesus has received from the Father, and now he has come to the goal line to tell us, die. It's the most significant speech ever delivered, the most important thing anyone has ever said. And I like to think, well, what was finished exactly? All of Scripture. <laughs> All of Scripture. Even though there's more to come, it is done when Jesus dies. So we could look at 1 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20. All the promises of God in him are yes. How many of them? All. In the death of Christ. All the promises of God are fulfilled completely. In John chapter five, Jesus said to the Pharisees, "You you don't believe Mo- you claim Moses, but you don't believe Moses. If you believed Moses, you'd know me, because Moses wrote about me. The entirety of the Bible, from beginning to end, is about Christ." The whole story of the text of Scripture is how do we get from the fall of man in chapter 3 to the redemption of man in Revelation 21. And the solution, the goal is accomplished at that moment when Jesus says, Tetelestai, all the promises of God. I think we could look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. The the character and nature of God is never more fully on display than when Jesus says, Tetelestai. It is absolutely clear what kind of God God is when Jesus dies on the cross to redeem us it is the human life of complete righteous obedience when jesus gives himself for the sins of his people it is love perfected and perfectly demonstrated so genesis 126 is finished at the cross genesis 315 where god says to the serpent the seed of the woman You'll bruise his heel, he'll bruise your head. The enemy of humanity is totally defeated. Done! Now he's still out and around doing his stupid stuff, but it is stupid, and he has lost already. The defeat of our enemy is sure and complete when Jesus says tetelestai and gives his life a sacrifice for sin the all of the promises to Abraham about the making of the nation of Israel and about the blessing of all the nations through the one nation that shall come from Abraham who is not even able to have children and neither is his wife God makes from nothing the nation he will use to bless the world in the person of Jesus Christ and how we get from Genesis 12:12 12, 12, the blessing of the nations through through the nation of Abraham is the cross of Christ Galatians 3:16 says that God actually preached the gospel to Abraham when he made these promises And these promises are fulfilled in the seed. And you might remember, Paul makes kind of an issue out of the fact that it's a singular word there. There's only one. It's the man, Jesus, that brings about the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. You can read in the law of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 30, you can read the promise of the new covenant. There's this covenant of law, and there's a new covenant in which The law will actually be written on your heart. Your very nature will be redeemed and changed. The Spirit of God will be given. You can read about this in Ezekiel. We read about it in Jeremiah 31 in our reading this morning. And in the cross of Christ, it is finished, the establishment of the new covenant and of the new covenant people. Jesus says this in the In the giving of the Lord's Supper, this is the new covenant in my blood. And so we have now, we now live in the age in which the Spirit teaches us, in which the Spirit redeems us and communicates the love of Christ directly to us in each of us and in the group of us in the body of Christ. We could read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we preach Christ crucified, foolishness to Gentiles, stumbling block to Jews, but to those of us who are being saved, the very wisdom of God. Because God in his wisdom did it in a way that no one in human wisdom could fathom. And so we know his wisdom is greater than all our wisdom, but When Jesus says tetelestai, it is the complete demonstration. There is nothing left out. It is the utterly complete demonstration of the incomprehensible wisdom of the living God. In the Son of God offering himself a sacrifice for sin, there is the deepest possible wisdom and God somehow solves the problem of being righteous and forgiving sin. The depth of his wisdom is a, is a depth we cannot reach. Finally, the John 10, the delivery of eternal life. Jesus says it repeatedly, I give eternal life. Give eternal life. In chapter 12, he calls this the, the mandate of the Father to give eternal life to those the Father has given. So, the last thing I want to say about it is, Tetelestai, it is finished, is our salvation, our redemption. You know, in the New Testament, we're, we're still engaged in being saved and there is a day coming that is a day of salvation in the future, but all of these things are referred to in the perfect tense as though they were already accomplished because they are already accomplished. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says he has raised us up in Christ and seated us already in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're called, Romans 8, justified, glorified. Glorified is a thing to, still to be realized in the future, but Paul refers to it as a finished, finished work. We're reconciled by the work of Christ. We're sanctified by the work of Christ, set apart to God by the work of Christ. God has answered Jesus' prayer, sanctify them in the truth. The wrath of God is utterly satisfied on our behalf in the death of Christ, tetelestai. We're cleansed. The righteous life of Christ, that perfection of the righteousness of God in the man Jesus that we talked about from Genesis 1 That is imputed to us already in Christ. We're raised with Christ, seated with Christ, forgiven in Christ, born again by the Spirit of Christ, indwelt by the Spirit of Christ. Done! Done. Tetelestai. It is the greatest statement of victory Ever, nothing can ever exceed it. It is the m- most heroic moment imaginable. Done. It is finished. Tetelestai. In the bulletin today, I put a, I, as I usually do. I put a little question there next to the title of the sermon, and the question there this morning is what remains for us to do. Now you might be tempted to say nothing. And there is a sense in which you would be absolutely right to say nothing. And yet there are things to do. (laughs) There are things to do. We don't have to do what Jesus did. We do not accomplish these things. But because he has accomplished these things, our life is redirected in an entirely new way that comes from victory. I don't need to gain victory. I have it. I live from it. And I do live and I, having received this love beyond imagination, I can exhibit it. And if I can, why on earth don't I? What is stopping me? Paul uses this expression in Colossians. He says it's, uh, he's living to fulfill what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Well, that doesn't sound right, does it? (laughs) And he's saying, he's not saying that there's anything Jesus left unfinished. He's saying, there's Jesus leaves things for me to do following his example of suffering. Not all of the suffering in the cause of Christ has yet been been done. Some of it is left to you. Paul considers that a privilege. To love someone with the love of Christ. But the beginning of that is to stop. And rest. Rest. In the finished work. It is finished, it is finished, it is finished. You do not accomplish your salvation, He accomplished it. You begin from a position of the assurance of faith. You begin at rest, and the work you do is a work from rest. There's still Things for you to do. You have the opportunity to exhibit Christ in many different ways. <clears throat> Only because it is finished, to tell us, Father. We want to thank you for your goodness and grace. It just sounds inadequate to say that. To think. What has been accomplished for us by the work of Christ, can't really get our heads around it. Father, we pray that the love of Christ will become the driving force in all of life for us in each of us, and in our life together in the church. We thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.